0: together lord thank you for your word and thank you that we have the opportunity now to look at it together would you please work in our hearts by your holy spirit open our eyes as the psalmist says that we may uh, see wonderful things perceive wonderful things out of your law we pray that you change us make us more like jesus we ask these mercies in his name amen Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, it has to be one of the most familiar and best love stories in all the Bible. Commentators have a long list of ways that it might apply. For example, when you're in trouble, trust the Lord. Uh, The Lord delivers his people. Um, You can look to the future with confidence because he's working his good plan for you. Uh, Don't follow uh, pagan politicians. Lots and lots of different applications. One of the questions, though, that this passage raises is, what is the author's intent? And I'm not suggesting that these uh, suggestions that commentators give us, I'm not suggesting that they are not found in the Bible. Certainly we're to trust the Lord. Certainly we're to look to the future with hope. Certainly we're to live without fear, but the question is, is that what Daniel chapter 3 is teaching? Now you'll see there are six sections, verses 1 to 8, Nebuchadnezzar's image, and then, I'm sorry, verses 1 to 7, then verses 8 to 12, uh, the Chaldeans, then verses 13 to, uh, what is it, down to verse 18, um, the Jews and Nebuchadnezzar, then the fiery furnace, then the king and the furnace, and finally the king's decree. Now what I want us to do is to move down through these verses section by section and ask the question, Who is the main player in this chapter, or players? Um, And so I hope that you'll be having that question in your mind. And the reason that we want to know where the emphasis falls is because that shapes how we understand what the narrator is doing for us. Now, chapter uh, 3 is linked to chapter 2, because chapter two talks about an image, a dream that Nebuchadnezzar had, and in it there is this statue the head is of gold and the feet are of clay. And chapter three starts with a reference to an image now that Nebuchadnezzar is going to make one of gold, or he has made. Uh, it is uh, a chapter now that begins with. What's the first verse say? Nebuchadnezzar made an image of gold whose height was 60 cubits, breadth six cubits. He set it in the plain of Dura in the province of Babylon. So we know the size of the image. We know its location, but we don't know very much else did you notice as John was reading that section all the repetitions again and again it makes you want to laugh you think to yourself what's the point of those repetitions I think the narrator is in part making fun of this whole scene and he reminds us that Nebuchadnezzar thinks he's really a big deal he makes the image it's of gold from top to bottom He gets all of his underlings together and says, now when you hear the music, you bow down and worship. The idea of obedience is foremost. And the idea of disobedience, oh, nobody would want to go that route because Nebuchadnezzar makes clear he's the king. And anybody who disobeys him in the fiery furnace. Again and again, there is not only reference to music and to the important dignitaries that come to the event, but also to the king himself. I think if I checked, and you can look at this for yourself, I think that uh, there are like um, seven references to the king, Nebuchadnezzar, in those, I'm sorry, six references to Nebuchadnezzar in those first seven verses. That sets the scene... We ask, who's the main player here? Anybody have a question about the main player? Sure seems like it's Nebuchadnezzar. But what happens next, verses 8 through 12, uh, the Chaldeans show up. And they say, O king, do you know that there are some of those Jews, those exiles, that you have put in a place of authority in this government? And they refuse to bow down to you, O king. They aren't obedient to you. They will not serve your image. Now, let's think about the Chaldeans. What's their motivation? They're taking the high road. They're saying, We know best, king. We understand these people's motivation, and we understand the threat that they pose for your kingdom. And we want to expose them so that you can take appropriate action if, O king, it makes any difference to you that you are not worshipped by all peoples in your kingdom. So that's where the Chaldeans fit in. And they are underscoring what we've seen at the beginning of the chapter in those opening verses, the importance of Nebuchadnezzar. We don't want to cross him. Now, let's go down and look at verses 13 to 18. Nebuchadnezzar gets the idea that perhaps Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego are not following his orders. And so he calls them in for questioning. He is willing to give them a second chance. He says, now, is it the case that you won't worship my image? Um, if, it is that, if that's the case, please know that you're under a death penalty. But if, when you hear the sound of the musical instruments and you bow down, no problem. And I think telltale words here in this section are really found in verses uh, 15 and 16. Uh, at the end of, let's see right at the end of verse 15, he says, Who is the God who will deliver you from my hands? In other words, I am sovereign. I am the one who makes decisions. I am the one who calls the shots around here. I am the ultimate authority. Well... That's what Nebuchadnezzar says. And don't you love the response that comes from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? They say, King, we don't really need to spend much time talking to you about this. If, your God, if our God wants us to perish in the flames, so be it. But if he wants to deliver us, that's possible too. But we want you to know, King, that we are not going to bow down to you. Can you imagine saying that to a king? That's what they say. Now, Nebuchadnezzar is furious. I mean, the smoke is coming out of his ears. And he decides to take things now, the next step. Nobody is going to defy him. So he has the, the furnace heated seven times hotter than it's normally heated. He has the strong men tie Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego up from head to toe, still in their clothes. And the furnace is so hot that the strong men, as they're pushing Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into the furnace, they themselves are consumed by the flames. And into the furnace they go. Now, if we just go back a few verses to verse 8, I want to point out something. The Chaldeans come with words of criticism. You see how verse 8 begins? It says that they they spoke in a malicious way. That's kind of a downplaying of the actual language. The uh, text says that they chewed them. They chewed them up. They don't have their best interest in mind. And certainly the Chaldeans that were on the side, I suppose, at this point, saying, whoa, we're glad they're out of here. Maybe we'll be able to take their positions of authority in the province. And what happens now is uh, we have kind of a slowing of the narrative. They fall into the furnace... And our attention now turns from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'd really like to find out what's happening with them. But our attention turns from them to, to whom? Well, to Nebuchadnezzar. And Nebuchadnezzar, we're told, is astonished. And he says to his supporters, I thought we threw three men into the fire. I see four, and one is like a son of the gods. What is this? And they agree with him. They say, yes, uh, we did throw three men into the fire. And yes, uh, we agree with you, Nebuchadnezzar. Now, let's please notice, too, at this point in the text, there is just this minor Small reference to this fourth person in the flames. There is one single reference to him, and no more. Furthermore, from this point on to the end of the chapter, there is no word from Shadrach, Meshach, or Abed Shadrach, Meshach, or Abednego. It's all silent. We're just left now. With the king and with his reaction to what has just happened. What has happened? God has revealed himself to a pagan king in a way that he cannot avoid. Here is someone like a son of the gods. Now, you know how it is with the commentators. They go off on all kinds of tangents trying to identify this person. The Bible doesn't tell us who he is. There's lots of speculation. It might have been pre-incarnate Christ. Uh, Nebuchadnezzar says it's an angel. We don't know. But it doesn't seem as if the identity of this fourth person in the flames is important to the narrator what is important to him Nebuchadnezzar's reaction and so we're told Nebuchadnezzar now suddenly is alive and well and he's seeing things in a way that he'd never seen them before he says to Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego you come out right now and they do and then there's a gathering of some of his political cronies around them it It must have been a funny scene really they check them out no singed hair clothes still intact not even a smell of smoke somebody had to do the smell test on them no they have been delivered in the middle of this mess What does Nebuchadnezzar make of it? Well, please look now at verses 24 and following. Nebuchadnezzar is astonished. He says, I see four men. He calls them out. They all stand around and smell what's going on. And then Nebuchadnezzar answered and said, verse 28, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants who trusted in him. Nebuchadnezzar is moved by God's giving him new information in a way you would never expect a a pagan king to act. He has to do something with this information, uh, this experience, this knowledge that he now has, that there's a fourth man in the fire, and that these men have been delivered. And so he says, blessed be. And then he goes on from that, and he kind of reverts back to his old ways. Nebuchadnezzar is a man who likes to use his anger to control people. We've seen that down through the passage a number of times. And that's what happens here, again. And he issues another threat. Anybody that says a word against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, their houses will be destroyed. There's no hope for them. And then... The chapter ends with the king elevating Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego to a place uh, of prominence. He sort of acts like a god again. He thinks he's sovereign, he's not sovereign, he tries to cover his tail. What are we to do with this? I think that the emphasis in this chapter, if you look at the beginning, you look at the middle, you look at the end, I think the emphasis in this chapter is on which person? What would you say? It's on Nebuchadnezzar. He is repeatedly referenced all through it. He's at the beginning of the chapter, he's at the end of the chapter. And what is God doing as far as Nebuchadnezzar is concerned? He is revealing himself as a God of grace and as a God of power. And Nebuchadnezzar has to do something with that information. The best he can do is a kind of weak response. Don't anybody dare worship anybody uh, other than Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego's God. So, let's just hit the pause button here. Nebuchadnezzar has encountered information that he didn't know about before this event. The Lord orchestrates it all, and now he is left having to do something with that information. And... His response isn't really a very good one, but it's movement anyway. How so? Well, if you remember, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, other Jews are in exile, Daniel, are in exile in Babylon because the Lord had said, if you obey me, I'll bless you, if you disobey me, I'll curse you, and if you go after false gods, I will scatter you to the nations. specifically, I will scatter you to Babylon, and I will scatter you to the Chaldeans. So they are in this situation under God's judgment. Does God care about Babylon? Absolutely he cares about Babylon. He has orchestrated this so these Jews can come to this place and Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego can go through the fiery furnace and Nebuchadnezzar himself can be confronted with the power of the living God. But it's not just Nebuchadnezzar. Think about the word that now is disseminated by him to the other people that are listening. They have to do something with this knowledge of God as well. Nebuchadnezzar has new knowledge. It does not lead him to saving faith, but he has to respond to it. So my question to you is this. What do you do when the Lord gives you new knowledge of his character? What do you do with that information? How do you respond to it? Is this just a matter of intellectual pursuit? Well, let's think about how Other people in the Bible have dealt with God's sovereignty in their lives as he reveals himself to them. Let me give you a few examples. How about Moses at the burning bush? He sees the bush burning, it's not consumed. He says, I think I'm going to look at this. And the Lord says, take off your shoes. You're on holy ground. Moses, I have a job for you. I want you to to lead my people out of Israel. Uh, out of Egypt new revelation about God in the case with Moses leads him to new action that he never imagined based on this revelation that God has given him let's fast forward to the New Testament Peter and the other fishermen are out on the lake and uh, they've been fishing all night and Jesus, and they haven't caught anything. And Jesus says to them, "Why don't you cast your net on the other side?" And Peter doesn't really want to offend Jesus, but he says, "Well, Lord, you know we have been fishing all night, and we haven't caught anything. And but at Your word, we'll do it." And so they put their nets in on the other side. The fish jump in like crazy. The nets begin to break, and Peter says, "Oh." my Lord, depart from me. I'm a wicked man. And Jesus says to Peter and to the rest, I think, don't worry. From now on, you're going to catch fish. They come back to shore. They sell their fishing business, and they follow Jesus. At least that's what the text says. New information about God is not something they just store in the back closet, but it moves them to be different. How about another example? How about Acts chapter 9? Saul's on the road to Damascus. He's going to persecute the church. Jesus stops him dead in his tracks. And Paul says, who are you, Lord? And Jesus says, I'm Jesus whom you are persecuting. Now, Go into the city and wait until you get more instruction. And then the Lord turns to Ananias and he says, Ananias, I have a job for you today. I want you to go see Saul because he's a chosen instrument of mine and he is going to declare my truth to the Gentiles. And Ananias isn't so sure. He says, Lord, you know, I've heard about this guy. He's ravaged the church. I'm not particularly interested in going to see him today. And uh, the Lord says, go. And Ananias does go. And he says, brother Saul, the Lord is restoring your sight. And the Lord is sending you to the nations. New information comes to Saul. New information comes to Ananias. And there's a new mission How about another one? How about uh, Cornelius? He hears from the Lord. Lord says, there's a man named Peter, and he's at a tanner's house. I want you to call him. have him come. And while that's going on, Peter has a vision of a sheet that comes down from heaven. And there are all kinds of animals. And the voice is, Peter, rise and eat. And Peter responds, Lord, I have never eaten anything unclean. I couldn't do this. And the Lord says, what I have called clean, don't you call unclean. And by the way, there are people downstairs knocking on the door. Go with them because I want you to go to Cornelius. And so new information about God sends Cornelius... Uh, Cornelius sends his messengers to get Peter, and new information about God to Peter sends Peter to Cornelius so that Gentiles can now be welcomed into the church. This is a consistent pattern through the Bible. When the Lord gives us a narrative, he reveals his, himself to us, and he reveals himself to us to make us different. And what is the difference that God makes in the life of Nebuchadnezzar. We'll see more next week, but for now we can say this. At least Nebuchadnezzar is interested in giving glory to the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Why does the Lord do that? It's not particularly because he wants to help little Sunday school kids learn to trust in the Lord when they're in the fiery furnace. I mean, it's important to do that. But it's not for that reason. This is about Nebuchadnezzar, I believe. And the Lord's working in his life so that Nebuchadnezzar can be a blessing to the nations in whom the Lord is interested in glorifying his own name. Psalm 76 puts it like this. It says, God can make even the wrath of man praise him do we see the wrath of nebuchadnezzar running through daniel chapter absolutely we see it and it ends with nebuchadnezzar praising god and so the lord's real interest is in the glory of his own name so now let's bring this home have you received any new teaching from the lord recently what have you done with it how are you using it to pursue the glory of God in a lost and fallen world that's the question that's before us today what are you doing with the new information the Lord is giving you for the sake of his glory among the nations I recently had a conversation with a friend in ministry who uh, wants to quit. He's bitter. He doesn't know if he can make it to the end until his retirement. And I said to him, well, so what are you going to do with yourself? He said, I don't know. Uh, I have some uh, interest in uh, horses and horsemanship. I'm thinking about that. Uh, maybe I'd do something to help budding pastors. It'd be a little funny given his bitterness. Um, I I, want to travel. I really don't know what I want to do. And I said, do you know what I said to him? I mean, what would you say to this guy? Bitter. I told him he was bitter. He said, I think you're right. I said, I think you're looking at things too small. You're looking as if Well, here you are, and you can look out over the world and you can say, well, I'd like to do this. I'd do that. Maybe I'd like to do that. Let me order my plan here. And you're forgetting about the bigger picture that God has a worldwide mission in which he is glorifying his name and he's asked you to be a part of it. That's true for you today, too. You have a special part in God's mission. So let me ask you to do this this week. Would you please pray, Lord, help me to know how I can better order my life so that I can keep in step with this mission that you have to take the gospel to the ends of the earth. Really. If you don't go there, you're looking at things too small. And if you don't go there, Whatever you set your mind on is not ultimately going to satisfy you. The Lord has made you to find your satisfaction in him. Lord, bless us, we pray. Help us to be people who love your word, love your law. May we see in your kindness to Nebuchadnezzar uh, as it were a metaphor of your patience with lost people and your desire to make your name great in all the earth. We pray these things with thanksgiving in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you please turn to song number 94, How Firm a Foundation? Let's stand together. We'll sing all the verses.